You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three. Got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU Sports Broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. We're here to bring you unique insights and stories from the BYU Sports Broadcasters who cover the Cougars and from the Cougars themselves. BYU men's basketball coach Mark Pope called the 2022-23 season his grand experiment. But it feels like this experiment is still a work in progress. So I invited Cougar basketball analyst Mark Durant on the show to see where things stand with this experiment now that the season has concluded and looking forward to the Cougars' first season in the Big 12. I don't know that uh, we'll know the results of this experiment for a few years, but there, there certainly were a couple things I liked. Uh, Cleon, I, I, I really liked how good this team was on defense. I think that was a real focus of what Mark Pope wants to do going forward. I thought they were generally successful. In the past couple of years, they have not rebounded the ball well, particularly on the offensive boards, and that was a real strength of this team. So defense and rebounding is something that I like a team to be built on foundationally. Uh, and and I think they're doing that. And so I think there's some good things and some changes that have been made that are, are helping this team be successful. Because really, in a lot of these games, BYU probably shouldn't have won with the, the offense that they had, but they were able to win it because they, they played good defense and rebounding. Um, obviously there's some concerns, uh, on the offensive side of the basketball. I think they figured out some things later in the season and we're a little bit better at that, but, you know, for BYU to be successful, especially going forward, they're going to have to really be able to shoot the ball. Well, especially from the three point line, they weren't particularly good at that this year. Uh, there was some leadership issues, I think for the most part this year that were problematic, you know, I think Rudy later on in the year did a better job of that. But for, for a lot of the year, there was kind of a leadership void, which hurt this team. So there's certainly a lot of things that are still being worked on and that Mark Pope will still need to experiment with. But but I do like, Cleon, the fact that, you know, they established a defensive identity and they rebounded the ball very well. And I think that is something they'll have to continue to do going forward to have success. I think the one thing for me that worked for this team in this grand experiment was how resilient this team was. It was so heartening to see them just battle back when they were down in many of these games. Unfortunately, it's the fact that they had to battle back. But I I think the thing that concerned me, and maybe this sounds too simplistic to me, so maybe you can help me out, just consistency. It's a very basic thing, but it's one of the toughest jobs to do in sport is to be consistent week in and week out. We we, we hear about that in golf, but I think it's in all sports. It's like I'm going to be able to do this every single game or at least come closest closest to uh, the optimal level of what we want to do with this team. Am I just being too basic there that they just weren't as consistent as we as we hope for? No, you're right. I mean, consistency was a big problem. And so then you, then the question is, well, how do you be more consistent? What's the problem there? Who's responsible for that? And I think there's plenty of blame to go around. Um, one, as a player, you know, I felt an obligation uh, to get myself ready for every game 
and not be too high for one game and too low for another game, but to treat every game as uh, super important and, and have a consistent level of energy going into each game. Um, coaches have a responsibility to make sure their players are in the right space and, 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 and be ready to go for a game. I mean, this, this could be, you know, what, what we're talking about could be in a game where BYU gets down by 20, uh, just that they, they weren't ready to start at the beginning. And obviously they, they battled back and maybe won or got close, but you don't want to have to do that. I mean, you don't want to have to scramble and, and, and try and come back in a game. You want, to come out of the game off out of the blocks with good energy, with discipline, with a good game plan. And even though, you know, as, as you were, I was impressed with BYU's resiliency. I'd rather not have that resiliency be on display so often. And a lot of that problem is, is they weren't ready to go in a game or games. And, you know, it's super easy as a player to get up for the big games and BYU did that this year, whether it be Gonzaga or St. Mary's or Creighton or Utah or San Diego state, you know, those were games that they were ready to go and, and had the, had great energy and were in those games, had some heartbreaking losses at the end, but they were in those games competing at a high level. So it's easy to get yourself up for those games, but, but what's really hard is to get yourself up for the, you know, South Dakota states and, and, and those other games and Pepperdine on the road. And, and, and this team struggled with that. Now, whether it's the player's fault or the coach's fault, or again, that lack of leadership amongst the players, I think is important. I mean, I think of guys that I played with that were leaders that would not allow our team to, to, to have those kind of lapses. You know, no team is perfect, obviously. And, and we're talking about young, young guys and it's hard to do, but, but it's certainly, uh, you know, I don't think it's too basic to say consistency was an issue because it certainly was. And, and now you have to kind of figure out, well, how can we address that? You know, what were the problems specifically? And, and that's a harder dig and more complex, but it certainly was a problem this year. You mentioned that BYU needed to be better shooters. You also mentioned that maybe there was a leadership void there. Those are two things that you could add to that experiment if you wanted to going into next year's. Is there anything else that you would add? And 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 maybe a a side question to that is, would adding a guy like Trevin Nell back into this mix after he was injured all season, is that enough, do you think, to, I don't know about solve their shooting woes, but at least help them get better next season? Well, Having Trevin Nell shooting is going to help you. I mean, he's a good shooter. So, yeah, I mean, on its face, that's that that will help you. Um, but it's more of a, I think, institutional thing. Now, <clears throat> when you talk about leadership or even shooting, uh, it, it's hard to have that from a bunch of young guys. And it's hard to have that from a transfer for one year, he comes in and you expect him to be a real leader. Um, <clears throat> so part of the problem was it, it was a younger team. And as you saw with Dallin and with Richie and with some of these other younger guys, 
not only did their shooting get better, I mean, Dallin couldn't throw it in the ocean the first 10 games from three. And at the end of the year, he was nails. And he's just knocking down threes. So his confidence in, his, in the rust, as he gets from, sophomore, from freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior, those things kind of take care of themselves. And you see the leadership of a guy like Dallin Rich, and he'll, that leadership will increase from year to year. So some of these problems and the consistency and the leadership will kind of take care of themselves when you have solid guys that are in the program for multiple years, like Trevin Nell. Uh, he's been around for a long time. So you can get those kind of things. The problem is with this last year is, uh, you know, kind of stuck in a spot where you didn't have guys that had been in the program for a long time, other than maybe Spencer Johnson. And he was injured part of the year. And obviously Trevin was injured. And so you're searching for these things that naturally you'd have with experienced uh, guys that have been in your program. And it just wasn't there for BYU. Now, was that a problem with the coaches that they didn't plan appropriately? Uh, so you're not in that, in that situation, maybe. Um, but I don't think you're going to see a lot of the problems that we saw this year in the coming years, just simply because guys are getting older and better. But with that said, I mean, now it's incumbent upon these guys that are here to get in the gym and shoot hundreds of threes a day to get better. Uh, so those guys are better. And then your number one priority in the transfer portal should be guys that are proven shooters that can come in and enhance what you're doing. Obviously, everybody wants those, but that's what you need to look for. I mean, the three-point shot is so critical in today's basketball and college basketball. I mean, you just can't be successful unless you're shooting a good percentage. And one of the reasons that team a few years ago, that the COVID team that didn't get to go to the tournament, was was so dangerous, and so many people thought they could go a long way in the tournament because they were the number one three-point shooting team in the country. Now, you don't have to be number one, but you need to be in the top 25 or 30 if you're BYU and you want to be successful because you're not going to necessarily have the athletes or the resources that Kansas or Kentucky or Duke or whatever are going to have. So you need to be really good at something like three-point shooting to be able to compete at, at a high level. Let's quickly go through some of the guys that played a big part in this past season's team looking forward to next year, what they kind of need to add to their game or what you would like to see from them next year. No particular order here, just picking guys out that did play quite a bit this past season. I'm going to start out with one. You don't need to go on a big, long soliloquy. Just a few things maybe you'd like to see from them next year, Mark. Uh, First guy I'm going to choose is uh, Noah Waterman. Noah's got to be a better shooter. I mean, we just talked about it. He shoots great, I think, in practice. Uh, He needs to translate that into game confidence. Um, And he also needs to be uh, someone that can score in the paint. When you're seven foot, you need to be able to score in the paint. Not a lot, but I think those are the two areas that he needs to work on. I think you're going to say the same thing, at least when it comes to outside shooting, when I mention the name Trey Stewart. It's frustrating with Trey because you watch him and you're like, holy smokes, this kid is so athletic, can jump out of the gym, great defender, not only shooting. I mean, I think he can get better shooting the more minutes he gets, more comfortable he feels. But he needs to, when he's on the floor, not do things that make coaches pull their hair out, (laughs) not commit turnovers. You know, just be solid. And I think sometimes he self-sabotages by trying to do too much. 
you know, just go out, focus on the defense, focus on making smart plays, and then you get the minutes that you want, and I think the shooting will come. Jackson Robinson. Jackson needs to get stronger. He needs to be more of a threat off the dribble penetration. We saw a little bit of that late in the season, which I loved, but he can't be so one-dimensional. I think he's a tremendous shooter, but he needs to be more aggressive getting to the rim and scoring from multiple places on the floor. I, I would add, and I'm not an expert on any of this, but I would add just finishing when he drives to the rim. Uh, that There were a couple times when I saw him drive to the rim, and I'm like, oh, man, let's see how this goes. And it just didn't quite turn out the way I was hoping it when he when he actually drove to the basket. Yeah, he certainly has it in him. But I just think he's kind of grown up just being a perimeter guy shooting the three. But that's not enough anymore. He needs to he needs to go. And the only way you kind of learn how to do that is by doing it and, and absorbing contact and knowing what that's like and still scoring it. It, it takes it's a learned thing and uh, he needs to get there. What about Richie Saunders? We talked about him a little bit. What 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 does Richie need to work on? I think Richie needs to work on his mid-range game. I think he's very crafty underneath the basket. I think his three-point shooting got better as the season went on, but he needs to be a threat off the dribble, maybe pull up for 10 or 15 foot jump jumpers, maybe little runners or or teardrops in the paint. Just find that mid-range game. But I love Richie's game. I love how hard he plays. He just needs to fine-tune some things offensively uh, so he'll be a real threat. I was trying to come up with what I'd like to see from Dallin Hall, and I'm asking a lot from him when I say, I'd like to see a little more Steve Nash in Dallin Hall. Um, you know, dangerous in so many things that t- teams won't be able to shut him down because if they shut one thing down, he's going to be able to pull something else out and he's going to be just as dangerous, whether that's passing, shooting, dribbling, whatever it may be. Yeah, Dallin's got a lot of physical skills. I think he could work on his quickness, uh, especially the first step as a, if he's going to play point guard to be able to get in the paint, create problems for the defense. And then the other thing, uh, I think he really needs to work on is is like Jackson finishing at the rim. A lot of times he'll get in a really good position just because he's so strong and smart, and then he doesn't score the basket. And, uh, you know, a lot of that, again, might be rust off the mission and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, he, he's he's got to be able to put pressure on the defense and get in the paint and then you know, look to, to dish like a Steve Nash or if they're not, you know, if they're going to not respect him, he's got to score it. And uh, I just think he was a little bit too inconsistent with his scoring inside the paint. Spencer Johnson, it just feels like to me, I mean, I'm sure he can work on th- some things and he would even admit that. But for me, it's to me, it's just like I, I just want Spencer Johnson to stay healthy because he does a lot of uh, a lot of little things good. Yeah, it's hard to criticize him much other than I want more of what he does. I, I want I want him to be more aggressive shooting. When you're shooting 45 or 50% from the three-point line, you need to, to shoot more. He, and maybe that number goes down 4 or 5%, but it's still a really good number. And, and a lot of times he was in foul trouble, so it's hard to balance that because he's a defensive guy. But you need him on the floor. He kind of hurt the team sometimes this year by picking up fouls and had to sit. Uh, And then you're right, stay healthy. I think he could get a little stronger in the weight room, 
but uh, overall, I mean, he's just a solid, solid guy. But you just what you want is more of him. And, and whether it's injury or fouls or whatever, he needs to be on the floor uh, as much as possible. Let's uh, let's finish up with the big guys: Fuseni Traore, Atiki Ali Atiki. What, what would you like to see from those guys going into or uh, when they start next season? Well, for Fusi, I mean, there's just no sugarcoating it. He's got to be uh, a threat from anywhere from 15 feet out to the three-point line. Uh, he, you know, he's take a page out of the Yoli Child's book. Yoli was a little undersized in, in the paint, but he was super talented. But as he got older and better, he became a real three-point threat because Fusi will have to play the four uh, in the Big 12. And you can't have two guys that only can shoot in the paint, clogging the floor. Foose has to be able to extend the defense. He just, I mean, and I think he's got a good shot actually, but he needs to be more confident and look for it and work on it and be a threat uh, from, from the perimeter. Um, if he can do that, I mean, the sky's the limit for Foose. Um, Atiki, uh, <clears throat> I, I just would like to see I guess consistency again from him. Some some games he's just terrific and makes really solid post moves and, and does the right things. Other times he looks a little bit panicky uh, and and he just doesn't feel comfortable out there. Uh, so he's a super athletic, super talented, great shot blocker. But uh, he's one of those guys, again, that, may, that maybe the coaches pull their hair out a little bit sometimes because – you know, he just doesn't feel comfortable on the floor. So, you know, he needs to just continue to work on those post moves and getting bigger and stronger and all those things. I think he'll be great. Last couple of questions here for you, Mark. BYU will play around 18 conference games in the new Big 12. Which facility do you want to see BYU play in in the most? And why is it Fog Allen Fieldhouse in Kansas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, I love those old places uh you know i served on my mission and rep arena was in my in one area and you know louisville was in another area i mean it just uh, growing up watching those great teams that so that's always a thrill uh and uh, you know not just that i mean i just uh, i just like the opportunity to play in really nice uh, arenas against high quality opponents that that fill their arenas where college basketball really matters to people and they're passionate about it, like, like it is at the Marriott center. And, uh, I think it's pretty cool by the way, for a lot of those big 12 teams to come to the Marriott center. I mean, that's one of the great basketball environments in the country. And so that should be cool for them. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, but yeah, obviously fog is at the top of the list just because of the great teams and the history they've had there. And, uh, this will be a first time for me for a lot of these places, so I'm I'm really excited about it. Mark, thanks a lot for joining behind the mic again. Cleon, I would do anything for you because I love you, man. You're <laughs> awesome. Thank you. When we come back, BYU Sports Nation could be covering its last football pro day here in Provo. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. BYU's football team has been hosting Pro Day for potential draft prospects for several years, and BYU Sports Nation has been providing coverage of it recently for fans hungry to support their Cougars. But is this the end? The Big 12 and the NFL are partnering up for their own Pro Day next year. 
So I asked BYU Sports Nation coordinating producer Ben Bagley if this is it. Yeah, this will be the last time. This will be the last go for BYU. They've really kind of carved a niche to this point where we've partnered with football to make Pro Day a big deal on on the BYU end of it. But with the announcement, was it a week or two ago from the Big 12, that they've partnered with the NFL to do a conference-wide media day, each school will no longer do their own media day. They're just going to do it all in a base in Dallas. It's going to be on the NFL Network, which is great. It's great exposure for the athletes as individuals. And it's and it's easier, frankly, for the NFL scouts because they're not going to 14 different schools. They're going to one place and getting the same job done. So the question was, is when they released that, I was like, there's two questions from my mind. I was like, why didn't someone think of this sooner? <laughs> and the, the side note was like, oh, dang it. I kind of enjoyed doing Pro Day here. But, hey, bigger, better things, I guess. What, what do you think you're going to be most bummed about that the that the Big 12 is now taking over? Uh, it, it's fun to kind of show that, like, like growing up as a football fan, watching the combine, combine, the NFL combine was always fun. Cause you're like, oh, that guy's awesome. Like you watch a 40 and like, who, who really cares about a 40 yard dash? Well, you do when you're watching the combine, you do when you're watching pro day. And that's fun for fans, BYU fans to see that and watch their guys, like when you're watching the combine, you're watching 300 and some odd guys work out. Odds are you've got three to five, six maybe BYU Cougars that you're kind of wading through, what waiting to watch. On pro day, you're watching all BYU Cougars. Now, you're not going to really lose that with the Big 12 uh, pro day combine because you're going to, I mean, at least one fourteenth of the, kid, the athletes going are going to be BYU Cougars. But it's kind of fun here, uh, being able to do it over the last. I don't know. We've done doing pro day for. I wouldn't. Even, I can't remember the first time we've done it, but <laughs> I, we've done it for for five six years. Just fun to do it when like we're focusing on all the BYU Cougars, even guys who, frankly, don't. They're not getting drafted, and and they know it. But they're doing this to get out in front of the scouts, and we get a chance to highlight them, and that's always been fun. What do you remember about that first pro, pro day that you broadcast on BYU Sports Nation? I remember going into it like, what are we doing? Because <laughs> 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 like, I had a vision of what we wanted to do because um, I wanted to do it very much like the NFL Combine on the NFL Network. Um, uh, I, I had a vision of my guys sitting there at, at, a, at a desk and they were going to just talk over video. Like, hey, here's so-and-so benching, but we're just going to talk about BYU football. And if if someone does something, we'll talk about it. I had uh, my boss at the time, Michael Miner, who'd worked at ESPN. He had a different vision of like, hey, we're going to slip time stuff. We're going to roll, roll record on him doing it. We'll bring it back. We'll talk about it specifically. So there's kind of a give and take between him and I. And, and I remember like, okay, we fought the battles. We've kind of come to a consensus of what we were going to do. And then we got there on Pro Day and we did something totally different. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's weird. The hard part about Pro Day, and, and, and maybe this is a question coming up later, but I'm going to jump it here a little bit. W- this is the one TV event we do a year where we have no control over what's going on. The moment those doors are opened, the NFL is in charge. The NFL scouts are in charge. They, they, they'll assign a lead scout or a lead NFL official who comes in and he says, okay, we're doing this next. Okay, you're going here. All right, we're going to run three workout areas at the same time. I'm like, well, hang on. I'd like to just cover one at a time, please, as a TV producer. <laughs> and, well, they don't care. They don't care. consult no. you? No, 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 no. <laughs> we're left out of the loop on this. And, 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 it was, and so I lose creative control to a certain extent 
which is fine. So now it's now it's kind of almost a live game as opposed to a, a normal BYU Sports Nation where I've got everything planned out and know what we're doing. It's more like, okay, I'm reading, reacting. Oh, they're moving to bench. Let's get the cameras over to bench. Let's focus. We want to see how many times Jaron Hall is putting up 225. Oh, wait, they're moving to the 40. Get my cameras over the 40. Get ready. Hey, I got an interview coming up here. Okay, let's get cue the interview. Still look here. It's like all of a sudden I'm, you're playing quarterback back there. Like, okay, read, react, read, react. And it was even harder a couple years ago, the Zach Wilson year, because they came in and they didn't just take over the scheduling. They were putting that thing on NFL Network because Zach Wilson was a top five pick. And all of a sudden, I was just taking their camera feeds and putting it on the show because our cameras weren't there shooting. I was just like, we'll still let you do Pro Day, but your cameras aren't in here. Our cameras are, and you're just taking our feeds. Oh, wow. And so I'm just like, I'd really like to see so-and-so over there. Well, it's not Zach Wilson. You don't have a feed for it. I'd like to have a feed for it. Please? <laughs> can we? <laughs> hey, guy that's just sitting there eating a peanut butter sandwich, can you pick up your camera and shoot over here? I'm, yeah, so it, it's it's always an adventure, but it's fun. What are like one or two of the most memorable moments in doing pro days over the years that you remember? And it doesn't have to be something grandiose. It may be just something little that you're like, I really like the way we did this. Well, I'll give you three. Uh, one was obviously the Zach Wilson throw. Everybody yeah. knows that. His uh, NFL network and went viral. It killed. That's the obvious one. Um, a a kind of funny one was – one of the, I think this was this the first year or second year, I can't remember. We had a big stage set up where we had two sets, not one, two sets on the stage, um, at the back end of the end zone, and we we all through the planning. Hey, we're okay, set up here, right? Oh yeah, you're fine. They're not going to be throwing here, right? No, you'll be fine. <laughs> Are we sure? Yeah, you're good. So what happens? Someone throws a long bomb, leads the receiver right into the back of the set. All of a sudden, we're on the air. All of a sudden, crash. And we're like, what? I'm like in the studio. I'm like, what happened? Uh, the receiver just ran in the back of the set because the, the ball was thrown there. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, I thought we were okay with that. So that quickly changed. We no longer have a two set set up in the back of an end zone. So uh, we've done it from studio with just the cameras down there. We're back this year. We were, we were back in the IPF with a smaller setup. Um, we, we've done a couple other things. And then there's just the success stories of watching us. I think it was, I want to say it was Micah Simon, who really wasn't on anybody's radar. But he came into Pro Day, and he came in fit, and he came in uh, athletic. He ran an amazing 40, had a great uh, vertical. And all of a sudden, the next couple of days, well, hey, check out this this kid from BYU that wasn't on everybody's radar. Like watching watching guys do that and watching guys have those success stories, but also to be able to talk to some of these scouts and agents and and, and former and current players that are there to just kind of, hey, this is this is cool. This is op- this is, this guy has opportunities to impress. That access you have to the agents and maybe some of the former players is it more of a you just grab them as you can as they're on the field or. Can you plan this out? It's been both. I like. I've had. I know a couple of guys who are agents, and normally will have a BYU two player, uh, player two in 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 that drafts from year to year. And I've talked to them and lined them up before. Um, they give us some great insight about what this means and what the scouts tell them about their clients. That's that's always nice. 
Uh, one fun thing was having Jordan Pendleton on, former player, but also a fitness guru. Works a lot of these guys out, getting them ready for combines, and ha- and having him on to explain. Okay, here's what we did to get so and so ready for today, because it's different than what you actually do to get ready for a football game. Yeah. So so stuff like that I can line up, but for a lot of the stuff, it's like, hey, who's here and who can we talk to? Um, and it, it's one of those things like we've got our setup for this year is we've got the set with Spencer and Jerem, and we're trying to pull as many interviews over to the set as possible. But we've also got Jason out in the field on a remote camera and mic, just like, hey, if someone's got five minutes and they don't have time to come over to the set, Jason, you're a go. You're, you're on that interview. Go. Go now. We'll record it. We'll play it back. Where do you think the focus will be on this pro day? I mean, I've never done one of these, but I still think – it's probably going to be all eyes on Jaron Hall just because that is the most prominent position in football. Well, seeing – just having done a few of these, it's always the quarterback. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's the sexy position, right? That's what everybody wants to wants to watch, what's want, what everybody wants to talk about. But Blake Freeland was a guy who tore up the NFL combine with his physicality, his, his jump, his vertical and horizontal jumps and some of his runs – because he is a physical freak. I mean, uh, if, if you've met Blake or you watch him play, you, you quickly understand this guy's uh, he, he's an anomaly uh, as far as an athlete goes. Um, I think that's going to be fun to watch, but it's an offensive lineman. I mean, you're going to watch him go 225 X amount of times. You're going to see him jump really high again. Um, but I think that will be impressive. What, what I'm interested in, um, and I'm curious to see how it turns out, uh, is all eyes will be on Jaron, but in that way, Puka's going to get some shine. Um, uh, and some of the other receivers are going to get some shine because it'll be on Jaron, but if those guys are making plays and if they impress in the 40 and they impress in some workouts and then they make some plays on the throws with Jaron, those guys will get some shine. And that's 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 what I'm hoping to see. Going back to Blake Freeland, I do want to ask about that. How do you create a feature around an offensive lineman? I mean, with Jaron, it's really easy. It's like, oh, we can talk about stats all day with completion percentages. This is where he throws. You can talk forever about Jaron and what what he can do with the ball. Puka, the types of routes he runs. What's it like with an offensive lineman? Because if everything's working well, no one's talking about them unless they're making some impressive you know, block. Pancake block, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I th- it's interesting because we do a lot of sp- spot shadows on our uh, uh, B-roll or our, our tape where you, you freeze the frame and you put a little sp- pillar of light over, watch this guy, and then he does the play. And even that doesn't do it. It's more just, um, yeah, the linemen, are, linemen it's, it's kind of hard to judge. It's the athleticism. Um, it's the size. We can compare the numbers to past guys in the NFL draft combines. Um, if Blake puts up a number and we can say, okay, that's that would be a top five all-time number in the NFL Combine, or here's where that would have ranked in this year's NFL Combine amongst offensive tackles, we can do that. But outside that, it's it's really hard. I mean, that's 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 the hard part about being an offensive lineman. You, you, your name gets called when it's either a penalty or you allow us, you're helping the quarterback up off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true, very true. Okay, outside of those three guys that we talked about, yes, who are who are probably the guys that you think are either going to get drafted or have the chance of getting drafted? Who are some of the other guys that you're hoping to feature or or, or, or want to see what they can bring 
in, in this last pro day for BYU TV? As far as guys that I think will get drafted, I'm not sure there's many. Um, I think a lot of this is for guys to get free agent opportunities. Um, I I think Christopher Brooks has a chance to, to kind of get on someone's radar. Um, not necessarily as a draft, uh, everybody would love to see Houston Haymooley, but unfortunately he's a really good fullback. Just a fullback is a dying position in the NFL, which, which is, which is unfortunate. I, I'm really curious. Uh, Gunnar Romney has decided to work out. He's on he's on the list to work out. So I'm curious to see what he does because there's already. Uh, I mean, is, is he going to follow the path of Dax Mill, who an off our radar guy who just was productive and a go to guy? Is he healthy enough? Can he answer those questions? And his, his might. I don't think his is in the question talent is as much as his health. Uh, but can he? Get a team curious enough that'll a draft him or take a chance with him a free agent. And then, frankly, a lot of these guys is getting into a camp, and maybe Peyton Wilgar, linebacker, follows along with this. Here's a guy who was early in his career on the radar of NFL scouts, and he has injuries and stuff like that. And now it's just proven that you can be healthy. Um, but in order to do that, you got to get a chance. And so, the goal is to get into a camp. For these guys, even if you're not going to get drafted, I mean, uh, there's a list of about 15 to 20 guys are working out at pro day. Uh, two, maybe three guys get drafted, but how many of those guys get into a camp? That's that's the exciting part. I, I'm going to guess that probably uh, on top of the guys getting drafted, you'll see five to seven guys get in camps, and then it's up to you at that point to make a name for yourself. Ben, thanks a lot. No worries. Thank you. Download and subscribe to Behind the Mic wherever you find podcasts or listen to all episodes on the BYU Radio app. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.